dear Lord, that have come out to uh, study your word, to fellowship together, to love each other. And Lord, I ask you to bless our time together. Just bless your word that goes forth and let everything that comes from my mouth be of you. And we just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to start with a story, too, but it's not nearly as funny as Carol's. So you can't top that. <laughs> but we had a kind of a neat thing happen in our family right after Christmas. Just a little incident, but that to me just showed God's love. Um, we had all gotten back from up north. We came, I went up north for Christmas. They all came home with me on the day after Christmas. And because of the 5 freeway having an accident, that they had to keep closing both sides so they could land emergency equipment. Instead of a high five and a half hour drive, it was about a nine, nine and a half hour drive. And there were two little kids. So <coughs> so anyway, we got home. We were eating pizza because it's what you could grab on the way into my house. And the kids were all wired, so they decided we decided we'll all play a game. So we were playing this board game that um, Little one went to sleep. The six-year-old was sitting on my lap. And I went over and got a cup of coffee. And, and my nephew had bought a Keurig. And we set it for really hot because I don't like lukewarm coffee. And so it was sitting there. And Jacob bumped the cup. And he got it all over his arm. And so my niece, we instantly, everybody jumped up, you know, all the women anyway. You know, the dad's still trying to figure out what happened. But <laughs> all the women jumped up. So we pulled up his sleeve. And his arm was bright red. And my, my sister, his Grammy, said, it's going to blister. So we got cold rags and ice, and we put that all on it, and he was crying. And I said, Jakey, I want to pray for you. And so I just, I just touched his head and his arm, and I said, Jesus, I ask you to heal Jacob. Take this burn away. Just make it so it doesn't hurt, and totally heal him. Very simple, because he's only six. And, and um, in a couple seconds, my niece said, well, let's put more cold rag on it. And we took it off, and the arm was not red. And Jacob went, it doesn't hurt. It's not red. And I said, Jakey, Jesus healed you. And my, my sister said, Jacob, she said, do you know what that? Jesus touched your arm and he healed you. And Jacob looked up and he goes, that was nice of him. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, yes. But it brought home to me that I, I was raised with a mom and a grandma that if you came in with a bloody knee, they would put a Band-Aid on it, but they'd pray for it too. So it teaches kids, I think, that Jesus cares about every little thing in your life. And uh, I just thought that was such a neat story. So he got a firsthand example of Jesus' love at work. So we're going to do a really quick Daniel review. And if you've noticed on your notes, there are no fill-ins. And probably, you know, you might not even take very many notes because we're going to kind of just go through this. But that's a reason. It's going to be a shorter lesson because we have, a, we have a purpose in that. And I'll kind of explain it at the end. But rather than go through it lesson by lesson, what I wanted to do was do an overview, kind of in steps. But so we could talk about the heart of Daniel, the heart and the character of Daniel, because that's what all this is about. W Daniel was a very special person. And in studying Daniel, I've, I've fallen in love with Daniel. He was really, he was really something else. <laughs> I mean, Daniel was just the epitome of trusting God. So we're going to talk Daniel for a little while. He and his friends, as you know, were taken from Judah, probably at an age between 14 and 16, they guess, and they were transported to a faraway land. They all walked. They didn't get on a plane or climb in the back of trucks. They all walked. And can you imagine how depressing it was to be leaving your home, your family, your nation, and walking 
to somewhere where you were not going to be your own person. They changed their names. They sent them to school to learn the ways and the culture. And, you know, it was a nation that was evil. If you read any history, Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar was an evil empire. They had no mercy. They would go in to conquer a land, and a lot of times they didn't take slaves. They killed people. They were just not nice, even to their own citizens. And they used wizardry and magic to make their decisions to, um, to govern. Because you read several times in Daniel that they would call for the wizards and the wise men. So they taught that in their schools, and these are the schools they were sending these little these kids from Judah to. And the ones we hear most about are Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. And like I said, they were given new names, but they were also offered a comfortable lifestyle, an elegant lifestyle in the palace behind the king's doors. They were offered the best food in the nation. They were offered wine. They were offered the best education, luxuries. All they had to do was embrace it and go along with it and conform. That's all they had to do. But we saw that that isn't what Daniel did. And we need to remember that Satan has used this same strategy throughout history to seduce God's people. He uses our desire for fame, for money, for popularity, for an easy life for fun. Nowadays, it seems to be the primary focus is, can you go have fun doing something? And if it isn't fun, then maybe you don't want to do it, you know, like work or something. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So you're going to be tempted. But you know, he's not going to let you be tempted more than you can handle. So you don't have to give in. That's what it tells us. We've seen in our lives, if you look around our world and you look at what we've been studying, it's a parallel world. We, I mean, it so fits. It just so fits with what we're going through. We're tempted daily by the same things Daniel was tempted with. We're offered idols to worship instead of God. And you know what? We sometimes pay allegiance to those idols, to things other than God. What takes your attention? Not the typical idol. I don't think anybody goes home and, you know, prays to the tree stump or, you know, has a golden image. And so we think, well, I don't worship idols. But, you know, an idol is anything that takes first place. How about money, success? possessions, family can even do that. How about our quest, women, how about our quest for beauty? I mean, look at the commercials over the holidays. Oh, my word. I, I think that fragrance commercials are ridiculous. But, but you know, you're, they're advertising perfume that costs a fortune, and people have to own it, you know? It's just, we, we had Christmas lists because we exchange, we draw names. I drew one of my sister's names, the ones down here. And she wanted Chanel number five, and our limit is like $75. And so I told her, I said, you aren't getting that. <laughs> because the cheapest bottle I could find was about like this big, and it was 128 So, you know, you aren't getting that. Sorry. So put up with something a little cheaper. 
But I mean, but it's ridiculous. And you have people ordering big bottles of things, and you have people, you know, ordering anything online that they think will make them look younger. Is that more important than how we serve our God? Because that's the question. None of this is bad, except what place it takes in your life. Judah had been conquered because of their love of idols and disobedience to God. They were told over and over that all they had to do was love God, serve him, follow his commands, which were not harsh, and that he would take care of them. He would honor them. He would hold them up. He would protect them. He would guide them. And they never, ever achieved that. Maybe it was too easy. Maybe it's because they didn't feel in control. I don't know. But at this time in Judah, they still had their temples. They still had their priests. They still celebrated the feast days. They even did the sacrifices, which God, which was so holy to God. And yet, after that, they had their idols, and they worshiped those idols. They sacrificed their children to those idols. Those idols were more important to them. Consequently, <laughs> God said, okay, I've had it with you for a little while. I'm sending you away, <laughs> and I'm not going to bless you, and I'm not going to sustain you, and I'm not going to protect you. And that's where, that's where we found, that's how Daniel got to where he was. We were, asked to, we were asked to examine our lives for idols. We were made for worship. Every single human being was made for worship. God gives us the real deal. But, you know, Satan will provide all kinds of counterfeits, all kinds of other religions, of other, you know, allegiances, of other things that will draw our attention away. In James 1.12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. So your temptation isn't of God to make you stronger. James 1.14 tells us, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And Satan knows, you know, he knows every single little weakness in us. He knows all the buttons, all the darts. He'll push it in a minute. You want that? Why can't you have that? So we have to be on guard. But, you know, Daniel refused to surrender to temptation. He stood strong. We saw it over and over in his life. We witnessed the faith of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the two stories that obviously stand out are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were in a group. They were told that when they sound of, of the bells or, that, or the trumpets, they had to bow and worship this golden idol. Nebuchadnezzar thought so highly of himself that he created this huge golden idol of himself, and everybody was to bow down and worship, and they didn't. Consequently, he had already made a rule, and he said in uh, Daniel 3, 6, Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So they knew the consequences ahead of time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied after they'd been arrested and taken to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, that God, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. He was very polite about it. I like that. <laughs> but they said, you know what? Our God can. Our God is more powerful than you, and he can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we don't care because he's still more powerful than you. And, you know, that took a lot of courage and a lot of faith and a lot of trust. Then we have Daniel who refused to stop praying. If you remember, some of Daniel's um, other rulers in, in the nation actually went to the king and tricked him into making a law so they could catch Daniel breaking one. I thought, now there's a life I'd like to, <laughs> you know, that he hadn't done anything wrong that they could trap him in. So they, they had the king write a law that you couldn't pray to anybody but him. So da it says when Daniel heard about this, he went home and he opened his windows and he prayed like w as was his custom. And so, of course, he got caught and he got taken to the king. And the king was really upset because he liked Daniel. And he realized he'd been tricked. <laughs> and, um, but there wasn't anything he could do because a law was a law. And so he told Daniel, the, the king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. And I thought, you know, Daniel didn't say anything. The king said, you serve a God and I hope he rescues you because you continually serve him. He knew Daniel's life. That's a testimony we can read right through sometimes. Do we live a life that people can say, okay, you're not feeling good, but I'm sure your God can heal you. I'm sure the God that you serve can be with us. That's what we want. That's what Daniel exhibited. We also saw Daniel's humility as he always gave God the glory. Always. He never took it on himself. He always said, God Almighty, creator of the universe, you know, knows this. You remember the story of Belteshazzar, which was Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, suddenly he was having a banquet, a drunken banquet, and a hand came out and wrote on the wall. And he couldn't read it, and nobody else could either. And uh, he didn't know Daniel, and his mom said, there was this old guy over here, and maybe he could. And Daniel was in his 80s by then. And Daniel came in. And it said he boldly walked into the banquet. He didn't know this guy. The guy had a terrible reputation. He was worse than his father. And he boldly walked into the banquet, and he said that, that he could read it. And the king said, if you will read this, I will give you treasures beyond what you can imagine. You can have anything you want. And Daniel said, I don't want any of it. And then he said, because the king had said, I've heard that you are the one with the spirit of gods within you. And you are filled with insight and understanding and wisdom. And Daniel just basically said, it's God. And then Daniel told him off, basically. And he said, <laughs> I loved it, because walked in, he goes, you should know better than this. This is my translation. You should know better than this. Your father got sent out to eat as a wild animal for years and years because he did less than you're doing. And how dare you take the things from the temple and use them in your drunken party? And now I'll read you the now I will read you what the hand wrote. And what the hand wrote was basically, he said it's of God. He says, so God has sent this hand to write this message. 
It's God. I'm not doing anything wonderful. It was God. And he said, your days are numbered. Your kingdom's at an end. And he walked out. <laughs> and that night, Belshazzar was killed with the invasion of the Persians. So that's a timely prophecy. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And in Daniel's humility, we really see his strength because Daniel never tried to make himself important. And yet, by being humble and being a servant, God elevated Daniel to a position of importance. And he always honored God. We look at Daniel's character, his steadfast walk, a walk of faith, of hope, of humility. Daniel lived his entire adult life in a place he did not want to be. He never got his answer to prayer to go home. He never got it. God never answered it. What do we do when we ask for something and we don't get it? Like the day after tomorrow? I mean, what do you do when you pray for something that's important that you know is in God's will? In the Bible, it tells you you can have it and you don't get the answer. What do you do when the illness you're fighting doesn't go away or the person you're praying for doesn't change? What do you do? What Daniel did is never waver. He trusted God. He just trusted God. Babylon had showed no mercy on their own citizens. It would have been easy for Daniel to compromise. How many of you have ever compromised in a situation? I have. I have. And maybe not embrace society and its lifestyle, but certainly not, you know, pretend like you're just there. It's easy. You, we give the appearance of conformity, and we think, well, I'm not really conforming, so it counts. But Daniel didn't do that. He stood strong and he honored God and he lived his life in accordance with God's law. And you know, he didn't have the Bible. He had whatever he had learned before he was taken captive and whatever God told him as he prayed. So the reason the lesson is short is here's what I want. I want you to take five minutes, at least five minutes before you all start talking to each other at the table. And there's a question on your handout. The first question is what I want you to answer now, and it's how did Daniel do it? How did he live his life the way he did? Because when I was planning this lesson, I wasn't sure where to go with it, and that's what kept coming back to my heart and my mind. How did you do it, Daniel? So I want you to write that out, and then I want you to kind of talk about it at the table. And when you go home, I really, really would love you to try to do this second and third question. How can I live my life with the same intensity Daniel did? Because studying God's word and not having it apply to our heart and change our lives is just knowledge. God's word is meant to change us. So let's ask ourselves, and then what needs to change in my life if I'm going to live like Daniel? And I'd really like you to ask yourself those questions. So thank you. And